You're listening to She Thrives Radio. This is episode number 106, and I have a guest on the show for you today, and I'm really excited to bring this conversation to you because this is also a new topic, I think, to the show. So we're digging into relationships today, and I have an a relationship expert here to take you through this. So I have Dr. Lauren Fogel-Mercy on the show today, and Lauren is a psychologist and a certified sex therapist practicing in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And she happens to specialize in sex and relationship therapy, and we are getting all into that relationship content today. We are talking about trust, we are talking about communication, criticism, connection, fighting, okay, we're getting into all of it, Uh, sort of how we are navigating our relationships, some of the things that we may be doing that aren't really helping, and Lauren offers solutions and alternatives to all of this. This is a great episode. We also, at the end, touch a little bit on how to navigate boundaries and communication and all this shit when we are basically locked at home with our partner. So if you're feeling like that, maybe you right now, uh, you're definitely going to enjoy this episode. So without further ado, let's just go ahead and get right on in. Radio is a production of She Thrives, a space designed to help you take care of you through a holistic and maybe sometimes unexpected approach to your own well-being. I'm Taylor Gage, your BS-free health and mindset coach, and your host who loves lifting heavy, laughing hard, keeping it real, and seeing you live like you love yourself. If you're looking to stop merely surviving and instead start thriving, well, you're in the right place. You ready? All right, team, I'm so excited to bring to you today a conversation that I think is also sort of a newer conversation to the She Thrives radio show here. And we are going to be talking about relationships today. And I have the perfect person to take us through this conversation. I have Dr. Lauren Fogel-Mercy, who is a certified sex therapist and relationship therapist. And Lauren, thank you so much for being here today. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Thanks for having me here. Yeah. So I think before we dive into today's conversation, um, I would love to hear a little bit about you and um, sort of how you even got into this, you know, profession, um, how long you've been doing it. I would just love to hear some of your, um, your background and your story. Sure. Uh, it's a common question because it's curious how someone ends up as a sex and relationship therapist. Um, <laughs> so um, I uh, went to my undergrad in psychology. I did my... Um, master's degree, and then I got a doctorate in psychology. So all of that was in general clinical psychology. And then I came, um, I was raised in Toronto in Canada and um, came to uh, Minnesota for a a two-year fellowship at the University of Minnesota to specialize in sex and relationship therapy. And I really enjoyed doing that. And have been doing that full time uh, pretty much ever since. So um, I'm in Minneapolis, and I work uh, fortunately for an integrated 
sexual medicine clinic at the moment, which means that I'm at the same location as some um, other therapists, as well as some uh, medical providers who are also treating sexual uh, concerns and problems. So um, that's a little bit about where I am right now. And you, like, I feel like your, you know, your, your social media presence, obviously that's how I found you. And it seems like you've grown quite a following from just sharing sort of like, you know, tips and tricks. And I don't know if that's the right thing to call it tips and tricks for relationships. Maybe, yeah. I don't know. Um, and, uh, so do you, do you do online, um, work or do you mainly see clients in person than in Minnesota? Well, up until the recent uh, outbreak, yes, I was seeing I people <laughs> in uh, in my office. Right now, I'm currently doing um, phone visits, but uh, for the most part, my uh, I work for a large managed care organization, and so I see my clients in my office within that organization. So, um, so I, you know, the Instagram page and my social media is kind of my own way to grow and expand and share some you know ideas and things that i learn along the way uh, with a larger audience so i've really enjoyed being able to do that well i love reading everything that you share and a lot of what i have sort of on the docket for today um comes from that because there's so much there's so much information in there there's so many concepts and um i just like uh, reminders and ideas and really awesome information that you share on there. So I have a lot of questions sort of regarding a lot of things, I suppose, but we're talking mainly today about relationships and partnerships. And I think when I think about, you know, relationships of any kind, I think really the first thing that comes to my mind, I mean, there's a few like key players, but I think the first thing that comes to my mind is trust. And I, I'm curious, I sort of want to just like open this up here to hear First of all, how maybe you define that, like what it really is at its core, because I think that's just kind of a nebulous word sometimes for some of us, like it just has no, what is that? Um, how we build it, and then ultimately how maybe we can break it as well within relationships. So I'm curious to just see like what you have to say on that when it comes to trust. Um, how do we really get that in relationships? Like what is it and how do we establish that? You know, trust really for a lot of us comes down to um, reliability and consistency. Mm. It's, you know, are you going to be there for me? And will you follow through with what you say you will? And with, um, you know, the boundaries that we've agreed to in our relationship, are you going to honor those? Those are the kind of things that impact trust. And trust can be impacted in both big and small ways. So, in relationships, we can break trust in big ways, like through infidelity or keeping really significant secrets. We can also break it in smaller ways in just the day to day, like saying, I'm going to take care of something and then I don't take care of it. Or I tell you something that's different than what actually really happened. So even some small, you know, the they used to call them white lies, mm -hmm. like smaller scale kind of fitting or, you know, omitting some details, um, over time that can break trust in a relationship as well. So, um, so it's, it's really about, I think the, the reliability and the consistency that what you say is what you'll do, what you do is what you'll say. 
and that you know that is what trust is that that you other people will know that you're going to honor that and if you feel like you've been sort of engaged in a dynamic where that hasn't quite been happening the way you described where that is being honored and met and tended to um I mean, I know there's a lot that goes into this, so it's hard to just like, you know, define it in a simple thing, but, you know, but how do you go about sort of like coming back from that, whether really no matter what side of that you're, you, you are on, um, how do we mend that when trust is damaged or not there? Because that seems to be like a huge pillar of what relationships sit on. So how do we fix that? Yeah, trust is a pillar. I like that word for it because um, I I often use in my uh, therapy with couples and relationships um, the Gottman method, which is based on doctors John and Julie Gottman's research and um, the therapy that they developed uh, coming out of their research. And they have a uh, research um, structure that they call the sound relationship house. And basically it has these different levels and different concepts based on their research. Um, and there's two pillars. So I like that you said trust. Trust is one of the pillars awesome. <laughs> and the other is commitment. Mm. And so we need both trust and commitment to have a strong foundation. So those are sort of the walls of this quote unquote relationship house. Um, and so it is, it's, it's extremely important. And, you know, there are going to be many ways that we break trust unintentionally. And like I said, in, you know, some of those small details throughout the day, throughout the week, you know, it's going to happen sometimes um, because we're imperfect. What's really important is learning how to recover and repair from those um, breaks in trust. And especially if that's going to be something um, like a more significant um, betrayal, so to speak, in the relationship or a breach in trust, then that's kind of a trust recovery process. And that can sometimes involve um, more time and more of a thoughtful and intentional step-by-step -step repair. So repair, you know, can be both a, a long process. It can also be a shorter process depending on you know, what happened. And a repair can be anything from, hey, I realized that I really let you down and I'm so sorry for that. And let's come up with a plan so that in that particular way, that doesn't happen again. Mm. I love that. And something that I saw on your, I feel like I'm going to be asking you to like define things all day today, but there's so many really interesting terms and things that I've seen you share. And I really, I wanted to hear you really speak about them here. And one of them, I think, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, relates to this idea of trust. And it is um, sliding door moments. Can you talk a little bit about what that is and what that means and what that, like, and how that shows up and everything about that? Because I'm really curious to know. I love it. Yeah, the sliding door moments. Um, this was John Gottman's uh, concept. And he got it from the movie that was made with Gwyneth Paltrow, a uh, number of years ago called Sliding totally Doors. Totally remember that movie. <laughs> so, you know, the gist of the movie is that there's sort of like two storylines based on this uh, female character, you know, whether she caught the morning train or she didn't catch the morning train and how her life would be completely different based on whether she did or didn't catch that train. And it kind of walks you through the two different realities of her life. And so he uses that as, 
you know, uh, a way to explain this idea that, you know, a relationship is going to have constant sliding door moments, these moments where, and I think he uses something to the effect of that he was watching something on TV at Dover and he noticed that his wife um, was like crying or upset. He really wanted to finish what he was watching on television. He was really into it, but he also noticed that she looked like she needed some attention and comfort. And so that's what he would describe as a sliding door moment. It's like, okay, I can watch the rest of my show and pretend I didn't see anything and then, you know, just ignore it. Or I can go tend to my partner who looks like they're in need and, you know, that is going to be something that's going to build trust. And that's exactly what trust building looks like. It's like, you know, you see that your partner's in need and you show up. Do you think that, we know how to recognize these moments without without this, like without being educated about them? Like, do you think that we know sort of like innately how to see this and pick up on this? Or is this something that we need to like really learn and practice? Like, how do we get better at noticing these moments? Yeah, I think I think it's a bit of both. There are some people where this might come more intuitively who have you know, uh, a lot of relationship um, intelligence or emotional intelligence, if you will, um, where it just, you know, comes to them more easily or more naturally. There's other folks who, you know, have to be intentional and learn and practice. And, um, you know, a lot of that might have to do too with um, upbringing and what was modeled in your family when you were growing up and um, how comfortable you are with your own emotional world, because when you're turning toward a partner, you're often turning toward an emotion. Mm. And so if you're uncomfortable with emotions, you might find that you're turning away more than you're turning toward. And I want to define that for a moment. Um, You know, sliding door moments are, you know, a concept that really describes recognizing bids for connection. Mm. And that's another concept from the Gottmans. And bids for connection are basically just anything that arises that could be an opportunity for affection, attention, comfort, support, understanding. So it can be, again, in in big or small ways. So, um, you know, this could be anything from, hey, you know, I just saw something interesting on the news. And right now we know there's lots of interesting things happening in the world. Um, And so... A partner, let's say, on the receiving end of that message could just not say anything. And that would be an example of turning away, which is either to ignore or to uh, not respond to the bid. There's turning against, which is to say something to the effect of, you know, what are you yammering on about? Or, you know, pipe down, I'm trying to do something else. Or something that's more maybe overtly dismissive and then there's turning toward which is responding in some way and what we want is we want to make sure that we're turning toward far more than we're turning away and turning toward I think a lot of people get kind of stuck because they're like well what if I'm not available right now or what if it's not a good time for me or what if I'm going through my own stuff Turning toward doesn't necessarily mean that you just drop everything Mm -hmm. and show up right away and and make it all about the other person. Although if you can do that, you try to do that. But 
you know, in many ways, it's just acknowledging, you know, oh, that sounds interesting. Or, hey, I'm just finishing something right now. Can you tell me a little bit about it later? Or let's make some time later to talk about what's going on. So you're acknowledging and validating that the other person has said something, wants to share an idea with you, whatever that is. And we're constantly, you know, either responding to bids or missing bids. Just in there, there's so much that I want to touch on. And I think um, it's, I'm trying to figure out where to start because that, yeah, there's so much good stuff in there. And I think, you know, something that you mentioned that really resonated with me in there was when you're turning towards a partner, you're turning towards an emotion, Mm -hmm. which I think that is really interesting. And And as that relates to sort of our own conditioning and patterns and, you know, lenses, um, I'm just, I would love to hear you talk a little bit about um, maybe how we do develop those patterns um, to begin with, and then maybe how that they tend to show up or manifest in these moments or just in relationships at large, sort of what you were alluding to there, like how we're all of a sudden asked to face these things that sometimes we feel like unprepared or unwilling or whatever to get into. So when it comes to dynamics within a relationship, how, where are our patterns, like our default patterns built and where do they tend to like show up once you're in a partnership? Yeah. I mean, I, I really do think that a lot of the patterns we develop come from early, um, early childhood, from our family systems, um, from the community that we are immersed in when we're young. Um, Certainly that's not true for everyone though. We all know somebody whose family system is really different than uh, how they are personally and they seem to, you know, really stand out from their family system. So there certainly are those cases in which case that might have been modeled through Um, schooling or through reading or through other um, immersive experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, But a lot of it is going to come from, you know, what we learn growing up. And sometimes what we learn growing up, and and maybe this speaks to how people might stand out as different from their family. Sometimes what we see, we don't like in our family system. And so we're very intentional then about creating something different for ourselves as Mm -hmm. we grow older and so what that might mean is then seeking out information or um, skill sets that go against what we were taught at a younger age because we didn't like what that looked like. So I think, you know, if it's not something that was um, intuitive for you in terms of like turning toward emotions and feeling comfortable um, expressing emotions or, um, you know, sitting with emotions, uh, because you know, being able to do all of those things are a relational skill. Mm. It's, it's important to be able to, you know, it's always fascinating to me when I hear people say like, I don't do emotions or I don't see the value in emotions or like, I just don't get it. Um, And that's fine. It's just interesting because that often will have some sort of way that it shows up in the relationship. And oftentimes that can create conflict. Well, that's like a perfect, that's a perfect transition because I was just thinking how, you know, so you talked about sort of this, this bids for connection thing, which I love that you brought up because that was on my list of things to touch on anyway. Um, and then 
I feel like the natural next step here is like, okay, so once we, you know, recognize that this is um, maybe what's going on and that maybe that's what's making you aggravated or frustrated that, you know, that's what's, because like, maybe I should back up. I also saw that you shared this post about um, how fights are not always about the thing that we're fighting about. It's not about the thing that we think that we're fighting about, right? There's usually something a little bit deeper um, kind of going on there. And so I think it's, it's, I mean, in my perspective, I'm just thinking about how sort of like these bids for connection can like pile up if they're being, you know, constantly um, ignored or turned away from, and then we get into like, then we get into a fight, right? So um, yeah. before we talk about like effective communicating, I would love to really hear about how, um, <laughs> how we deal with that in ways that perhaps are not so effective, um, especially if this is something that people are noticing and they're like, yeah, no, I realized that these bids for connection that I've been putting out have not been being met and that's why I'm always pissed off or we're fighting or whatever. Like, um, can you take us through how we go about actually, um, or no, how we mess up, you know, how we make it worse, how we, how we, how we exacerbate the issue, the issue at hand with our communication. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of what I'm going to say comes from the Gottmans because that is the primary uh, method that I use. And it's also very well researched. It's, you know, at, at least 40 plus years at this point of, um, you know, working with couples, both in therapy and also in labs doing um, more data-driven research. Mm. Um, and so, you know, what they found, uh, the Gottmans found through their research is sort of these four communication patterns that tend to emerge that undermine or sabotage relationships. And they call them the four horsemen of mm. the apocalypse. Mm. And they use that from- <laughs> I feel like that's a really like, <laughs> that's a really scary name. Doom and gloom, right? I know. <laughs> So, you know, they use that. It's a biblical reference from the four horsemen of the apocalypse in the Bible, which was a sign of the end of times. And the reason why they brought that into their research or used that name is because these four patterns, if they're not, um, you know, intervened uh, in or, or controlled in some way, that they could show the sign of the end of the relationship. And so that's where they kind of got that name from. Um, and so there's four things that we tend to do in relationships. And I will say that, you know, some of these can be quite common. And if you do some of these things, some of the time does not necessarily mean that your relationship <laughs> is going to end. Um, but it does mean that you might want to reflect on some of these things because we know them to be um, harmful for relationships. Hmm. So the first one that they found is criticism. And this is a really common one. And criticism basically shows up as a statement that's underlying messages. There's something sort of wrong with you. Like, hmm. like what is, what's wrong with you? What are you doing? Why are you doing it this way? Like, what's the matter with you? Mm -hmm. That's sort of the message. So it's, it's um, a sign of disrespect for the other person. And it's really, you know, kind of going beyond just the surface of like, why is this happening in this way? And it's more like, why do you do it this way? Mm. So criticism shows up a lot. And so that's one of them. Um, 
what I'll do is I'll name the four horsemen first, then we'll talk about their antidotes. Cause I was just going to say, I feel like, yeah, cause I feel like there's sort of a, so, you know, more of a solution to each of these. I love that. So there criticism. is, there is something. Yeah. So criticism is one that's very common. And so what often goes along with criticism, if, if let's say one person is offering criticism, what that's often met with in the second horseman is defensiveness. Mm-hmm. So criticism feels like an attack for the other person. And so what we do is we get defensive then to protect ourselves. And defensiveness is basically, um, in some ways, in relationships, it's, it's not taking responsibility for your part. That's how it often can show up. So if, um, and, and that can be in response to either criticism or a genuine complaint. And I'll define the difference there. So mm. a criticism is, you know, about the other person. It's kind of going more after their character or who they are as an individual. Whereas a complaint is more behavioral and it's more about how you're feeling or what your needs are. So for example, um, you know, leaving shoes right in front of the door so someone can trip. Did you, Um, have you been in my house? Is that? (laughs) I use that from my house. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I love that. So, um, so, you know, a criticism, a critical complaint, uh, no, sorry, a critical comment about that would be why do you keep leaving your shoes at the door or like what's the matter with you I'm gonna trip or like why don't you think about me for once or you know those are criticisms and complaint would be you know I'm bothered by the shoes being at the front door because I worry that someone's gonna trip and you know I need them to be moved out of the way so it's more focused on yourself And we'll talk about that in a little bit about that being the antidote. Um, So, you know, sometimes even if you uh, communicate a complaint, which is fair in relationships because you're going to have complaints and requests, um, it still could be met with uh, defensiveness. Mm -hmm. And so we'll talk a little bit about then what do you do with defensiveness? Um, But defensiveness is basically that, you know, protective the protective mechanism that's coming up in the relationship. And sometimes that can spark then counterattack like me, what about you? You know, that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. So defensiveness is the second one. The third one is contempt. And this one is the most severe of the four. Contempt is basically coming from a place of superiority. It's like, I'm better than you Mm. or looking down on the other person. And so, um, it's, it's kind of saying like, well, I don't do that. You know, why do you do that? Like, I'm never late. You're the one who's always late, you mm-hmm. know, this kind of thing. So it's really kind of attacking the other person's, um, you know, intelligence, moral character, you know, things like this coming from a place of being like top down. Mm. And that is the one that is, you know, understandably the most harmful for relationships because it's rooted and steeped in Uh, significant disrespect. So that's something that, you know, people need to be quite mindful of. And fourth one called stonewalling. And Mm -hmm. that basically means like just becoming unresponsive. So, you know, clamming up, not saying anything, turning inward, turning away, like moving your eyes away, moving your eyes down, you know, uh, folding your arms and crossing your arms in front of you and 
rolling your eyes, you know, some of those things can be both signs of contempt and stonewalling. Mm. Uh, but stonewalling is basically just, you know, it's like talking to a wall, like the other person's just not responsive at all. And that's really harmful as well, because it's a form of turning away. Um, but often this is something that, um, you know, stonewalling can be one of two things, either you're entering into like the fight, flight, freeze response. Mm -hmm. And so that's what's happening. And so we need to learn how to manage that. Um, some people use stonewalling as a like punishment, like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna talk to you. Mm -hmm. um, so it could be maybe one of those things, either it's a physiologic, you know, shutting down, or it's used as a um, retaliation or um, something for punishing the other person, like I'm not gonna talk to you. So those are the four. Yeah, and who all out there feels called the fuck out right now? Just <laughs> saying. <laughs> and so, again, a reminder that it is common for us to do some of these <laughs> some of the time. The thing is that, you know, the more you do it, the you know, more your relationship will be impacted by it. So if mm. you can learn about some of these things now and you can start taking measures to reduce them and use their antidotes, which we'll talk about, mm -hmm. that's going to give you a much better outcome in terms of the quality of your relationship. I, I love that you're saying that and sharing that. And I think a lot of people are probably nodding their heads right now, you know, going like, Oh shit. Yeah, no, I definitely do that. Or I definitely, you know, they're receiving it or definitely giving some of that back. Um, and so I would love to move into sort of like, you know, maybe sort of the counterparts to some of these things that you shared. And right. I think that one of the things that you touched on in the beginning there was sort of like, um, criticism versus like communication and I versus you statements. And I would, you know, how that kind of relates to just the criticism portion then in general. So um, I would love to kind of have you walk us through these, you know, the flip side of the coin here um, and what that, what that is, what's an I versus you statement. How do we make sure we're complaining and not criticizing and how do we go about that? Right, right, right. So, you know, the antidote to criticism is using a softened startup or a gentle startup. Mm -hmm. And what that means is rather than going in with you do this or how come it's this way or, you know, and those often start up with like a harsher tone. Mm -hmm. um, using a softened startup often involves, you know, saying, here's what I'm feeling. Here's what I need. Here's where I'm coming from. So being a bit gentler in the way that you're bringing up whatever it is that you're trying to communicate that will often, um, you know, the hope is that that lands more softly for the other person so that they can hear you and respond and turn toward that. I feel like, I feel like there's a lot of ways in which we may, we may think that we're doing that. And yet we're still like, I just really feel like you're being a dick right now. Isn't really, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like we call like that trying... veiled criticism. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Like veiled so criticism. We... So veiled start? criticism is basically like, I'm going to take the I statement because I learned that that's how you're supposed to communicate. Yeah. And then I'm just going to be critical with everything else that comes out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's a veiled criticism because you think you're putting it in the I statement and using, you know, the antidote but really you're just going back to criticism. Mm -hmm. So really 
you know, to keep in mind with a softened startup and with um, staying out of criticism, you want to focus more on you, not the other person. Because with criticism, the focus is on the other person and how they're doing something defective or deficient or inappropriate or, you know, things that are bothering you. And it's focused on they need to do it differently. Mm. With you know, making a complaint or stating what your needs are, you're focusing more on you. Here's how I feel about this. Here's what I'm needing right now. Here's what my ask is. Is that something that you can understand or help me with? So that is going to deliver a very different message to the person who's on the receiving end. I feel like it's like the, um, I'm sorry that you feel that way kind of apology. It's like, what right. are we, that's not, okay. Um, right. Right. <laughs> okay, yeah. so that's a really important uh, distinction there. And I, I love the I versus you and kind of keeping it really focused on your experience. And, and I think you mentioned this earlier that even within that, even if I think you're being very careful to keep it within that space, you may find that you still get met with defensiveness. And so totally. how do you navigate, you know, sort of like really trying to be careful about that for everybody's best yeah. interest and still feeling like you're getting clobbered? Right, right. Yeah. And, you know, I, I've, I've heard some, um, you know, comments about why do we have to be so careful about everything that we say and why it feels like we have to walk on eggshells to communicate. Um, and I understand that. I mean, I think this stuff can be frustrating when you're trying to communicate a message or you're trying to express an emotion. You feel like you have to put that on pause and be thoughtful about how you put it out. Um, we also know that our physiology really is a significant part of the communication. So, you know, if what you're saying triggers a fight or flight response in the person who's receiving it, that's not going to be a productive conversation. And so what you're trying to do is you're trying to make sure that I'm going to do my part to put this together in a way that's not going to land as an attack on you. Because once you feel attacked, if that's what I'm putting out into the world, then what I'm getting back is either that defensiveness or the counterattack. We're not going to go very far with that. So if I have a need and I'd really like it to be heard, I'm going to do my part to communicate that in the most effective way possible, because that's also not just good for you, but that's good for me because then I get to be heard. Yeah, I love that. Like it's more about uh, the effectiveness rather than um, protecting, although I think that's important as well. You want to, you know, you want to protect your, your partner or whoever we're talking about, but yeah, I love that way of looking at it. Like if we actually want this to be changed and we're taken right. seriously, it's my responsibility right. to approach it from a responsible angle. Um, right. Otherwise you're not going to be heard and you know, then it's, it's pretty ineffective communication or it's fraught with miscommunication. Now, like you said, and like I said earlier, you know, you could do all the things that we talk about and use it, you know, the language by the, by the book. Yeah. And you could still be met with defensiveness from the person on the receiving end. So first let's talk about the antidote to defensiveness. Yes. So if you are the one getting defensive, if you notice defensiveness in yourself, which is like feeling this need to protect yourself, which is sort of overriding hearing the other person's message, because that's essentially what happens is the other person is saying, I'm upset about something or I have something that I want to say. 
and defensiveness then starts to make it about you. Mm. Well, here's what I have to say, or here's what I, you know, it sort of takes over the conversation. Mm -hmm. And then the other person really is not getting the floor anymore. So with defensiveness that's arising in you, um, what you can do is if there is any part of what the other person is communicating that you can take responsibility for, that you can validate, that you can say, you know what, I do leave my shoes like way in the middle of everything. And mm -hmm. you're right. It is, you know, it could be dangerous. Somebody could fall. I, we need to figure out how I'm going to remember not to do that, you know? Mm -hmm. So if there's any piece of truth to it, or even just saying like, you know, what you're saying makes sense, or I get where you're coming from, or I'm, you know, I'm, I'm hearing you, you know, let's talk about this. Mm -hmm. That's going to help to diffuse the situation because then it's staying with the message. You mentioned something um, about how, you know, it, I mean, it is really interesting because I do think that when you, I, we all know the feeling of being defensive and it sucks, right? Because it's such yeah. a, I feel like it's such a, it's such a primitive, like self-protective place where we're just like, it's, you're, it really ignites, like your everything in your body is like yeah. on it. And yeah you had a term that speaks to this called flooding. And mm -hmm. I think like, I mean, just the word there to me makes total sense because that's sort of how it feels. Um, what is that, you know, like biologically, like what's going on and how do we address that? Because I think it's really difficult to walk away from that feeling when you are ready to just, you know, fight tooth and nail for your dignity or life or, you know, to win the argument or whatever. Like, um, what is right, that? Right, right. Yeah. yeah. So flooding again is the, the Gottman's term. It's it, what it means is that you're in, um, I mean, the technical fancy term is diffuse physiological arousal. Mm -hmm. Um, what that basically means, a lot of us are familiar with the term fight or flight or freeze. And those are different, um, states that our nervous system can, um, enter and they are protective states and they're basically there to make sure that you survive. Now, the challenge is that our nervous system, the most modern part of it is estimated to be about 200 million years old. And we live in a very digital modern world. Unfortunately, those two things haven't really matched up so well. And so the things that happen for us now are very different in our day to day than they used to be. So in our prehistoric days, you know, you would enter fight, flight, freeze would be ways to protect yourself from, say, a saber-toothed tiger. And so you would either run or you would try to fight it off or you would collapse to the floor as if you were dead to try to hope that it, like, you know, passes by you or to, you know, have the path of least resistance. So those were things that were really effective at that point. And um, what happens now is that many people get triggered into that same state, that same survival mode, but what their body is responding to is not actual threat. It is perceived threat. Shoes in front of the door. <laughs> right, right. Shoes in front of the door or partner has like a tone or is starting to raise their voice. Mm -hmm. And we will often react in ways that are similar, if not, you know, the same as what we would be doing if we were, you know, looking at a saber-toothed tiger. Mm -hmm. 
So the reactions in our bodies often don't fully match or make sense at times to the situation because perceived threat and actual threat are being, um, you know, confused. So, you know, what do we do when that's happening? Well, we have to do, you know, a number of things to try to calm our nervous system and work with our nervous system to understand that this is perceived threat, not actual threat. It's an actually, it's quite a beautiful uh, system in place. It's just unfortunately not always matching where we are and time and place at this moment. So that's why defensiveness comes up and feels sometimes like you're going to, you know, fight for the honor of your name (laughs) and, you know, to the, to the death. Uh, that is awesome. And you, so when that happens and our nervous system is in, you know, yeah, is in that place. Um, what do, what do, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? So if, if you notice, this is actually the antidote to stonewalling, but I actually think Mm -hmm. it's the antidote, um, for all of them in some ways, uh, depending on what's happening for you. Um, but stonewalling, we were talking about as sort of that like shutting down. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people will uh, refer to it as like the freeze response. Mm-hmm. And um, assuming that's what's happening, what we want to do is practice physiological soothing, which means self-soothing, which means something that helps us to calm down. And that could be true also if you're experiencing criticism, contempt, I mean, any of them uh, and defensiveness as well, um, any of them would be potentially a time to practice uh, self-soothing, particularly with stonewalling. But basically what that's telling you is you might be in a defensive mode and a defensive mode is a survival mode. So we can feel this in our bodies sometimes. If you notice that your heart's starting to beat really quickly or your hands are getting clammy or your skin is getting flushed or your breathing is getting more shallow or more rapid, those could be signs that you're entering fight or flight um, because your body's gearing up to run or fight. Yeah. So if that's what's happening, the best thing that you can do is take a break mm. because nothing productive is going to happen other than really running away or getting into a big fight. And often it's one of those two things. So, you know, I think taking a break is something that a lot of people haven't been taught or haven't um, learned is a very helpful and effective strategy for managing conflict. Um, it's not to be used as an avoidance mechanism. It's not a way to try to duck of a conversation that you don't want to have. Um, it is a way to put a pause on a conversation so that the calming down of the system can happen so that then you can revisit the conversation and have it be more effective and productive. And is that like when you do come back from this um, time apart, is the idea that you have sort of come to sort of your own solution or um, offering maybe to the argument or is it just like, okay, we're like, we're picking up right where we left off kind of thing. Like what are you doing in that time off besides, um, you know, trying to, you know, calm yourself down? 
really that's all you're trying to do. And, um, you know, certainly if you've in that time gained a perspective where you'd like to say, hey, I think I was, you know, reacting poorly or I owe you an apology or I think I was too harsh, certainly you could offer that when you're coming back and try the conversation again. What you don't want to do is go off and then rehearse in your head or on paper or with a friend on the phone how terrible, horrible, and no good your (laughs) partner is and start creating, you know, your counter argument. Like you're going to go back into the courtroom and put them on the stand because that's just going to keep you um, elevated. It's going to keep you in the same state that you took the break for. And then basically the break becomes pointless. Listen, I have won every argument I've had alone in my shower, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Rehearsing, going over and over and over. Um, Yeah, I think that's a great point because I do think that um, is sort of what happens, right? Like you walk away from it, but your head is still spinning. And so it's like, oh, you know, maybe I should have said that. And so we're sort of still in that place. And it's like, that's not really doing what that break is intended to do at that point. Right, right. Yeah, you you know, if you can, you want to be mindful of what you're doing in that time. And it's an opportunity to learn what really helps to calm your system. Mm. So that might be going for a walk. It might be, you know, going to read a chapter of a book that you enjoy. It could be listening to some music or meditating. Really, whatever it does, uh, whatever does that for you that calms you down. Um, and just noticing that. And on average, it can take about 20 minutes for the body to return to a state of calm. Hmm. So if you've been in an activated state in that fight or flight response, it's about 20 minutes. Now, oftentimes we think that we don't need a full 20 minutes, but you know, if you have the 20 minutes, um, it might be wise to just take that time to really let your body um, you know, return to a and, and then try again. Now, if the timing doesn't work out, let's say you took a break and now you have to go to something that you have planned and you really don't have time to finish the conversation right now. In general, if you can, try to revisit it within about 24 hours, within a day. Because what happens is otherwise it just gets, you know, swept under the rug and then it just piles up for next time. Mm, yeah. And the piles up for next time conversation is a big one. Um, but what I really, and we can definitely get in there, but I'm interested to hear um, sort of, uh, so I think, so, okay, so stonewalling is one of the um, four horsemen. And I think that yeah. it can be maybe easily confused, maybe not so easily, but maybe in some circumstances confused with this idea, because it's sort of like, I feel like it feels like it's drawing like a line in the sand sort of a thing, which I think can feel like a boundary to some people, right? So mm-hmm. how do we sort of discern between what is stonewalling and completely shutting this down and what is like an acceptable, smart healthy boundary for your own levels of engagement on whatever we're talking about. Is there a way to mm-hmm. tell the difference between those two things? Um, yeah. I mean, I think, I think stonewalling is going to come up as a way, like when you're in the middle of communication mm-hmm. and one person just shuts out, that's yeah. stonewalling. Um, now, a lot of people will ask questions about like, well, how is this different from either, you know, healthy boundaries? How is this different from um, people who give the silent treatment? You know, what is that? 
Um, and I think they're just, they're, there are some differences among some of these things. So a boundary is going to be um, about another person or yourself communicating what your needs and limits are, what basically is okay for you and what's not okay for you. Mm. So if you're in the middle of a conversation with somebody that uh, you care for and that you plan to stay in a relationship with, um, then, you know, setting a boundary would um, likely be communicated in some way, shape or form more verbally. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think if there would be another way, but I think verbally would be probably the best way, which would be like, this is not something I feel comfortable talking about any further right now you know, maybe we need to come back to this later, or I need to go think about this, or I'm at my capacity, like there would be some sort of response that communicates that we've hit a boundary. Whereas with stonewalling, it's just not saying anything. And, and, you know, often, there are many people who do take breaks, but how you take a break is really important. So the stonewalling break would be just like getting up and walking away. Mm-hmm. And we all know, you know, we can, we've seen that in the media. We've seen that in movies. Like we can yeah. envision what that looks like, which is really painful for the relationship because it lands as like abandonment. It just feels like you're totally left hanging. And, um, you know, the need to take a break is a good intuition. It's just a matter of how. So all that needs to be is either a word, a gesture, you can come up with some sort of signal ahead of time that when I'm flooded or when I'm at my, um, at my peak and I just need a break, here's what I'm going to say or do. And that could just be, I'm going to go take a walk. Can we come back to this in half an hour? And just that communication or gesture lets the other person know, okay, we're, we're on pause. I think that's a really helpful um, and important distinction. And I'm really glad that you sort of shared it that way. And I think, you know, that perhaps one of the things that maybe not for everybody right now, but for certainly for some folks out there right now, they are finding themselves in a dynamic within their household that um, maybe is a little bit new, maybe is just a little bit unfamiliar, maybe it is a like a ton of time all of a sudden with somebody who, you know, yes, certainly the person that you maybe decided that you want to spend a lot of time with, but all of a sudden like a lot, a lot of time just like landed on your lap. And so, um, and there's like nowhere- each other's nerves. Yeah, there's nowhere really to go right now. And so I'm- I would love to hear um, any advice you may have for strategies or tactics as it relates to maybe the idea of boundaries, but maybe something entirely different um, of, you know, managing and maintaining a healthy dynamic when the world is literally in quarantine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is, this is the concern for a lot of folks. And I actually heard, um, I I heard this anecdotally that in China now that there are many people who are seeking divorces at this point because they've been, you know, quarantined for two or three months and Mm -hmm. they can't stand each other anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think it really does bring up boundaries and, um, you know, I think some things that we can do is depending on what kind of space you live in, um, you know, making some maybe even designated time for some separateness or alone time. And so whether that's like, I'm going to go take a bath while you're in the one room that we have, mm-hmm. um, maybe it's, 
you know, you're going to be in one room, I'm going to be in another, and we're just going to be doing different things and have an hour of separateness where we just get a break from each other and we get to sort of be an individual and do our own thing. Mm -hmm. So if there's a way to cultivate some of that space, I know in some places in the world right now, we can still go out for a walk or still go into the yard. So if there's a way to, you know, create some physical separateness, um, if there isn't a way to do the physical separateness, we could do um, just sort of emotional or, or you know, um, attention separateness mm -hmm. in terms of like putting on headphones and just doing sort of your own thing so that maybe you're in shared space, but you're doing something separate mm. um, because it can be a lot of togetherness and that can feel like overload. We, all of us, no matter whether you consider yourself to be an introvert or extrovert, we all have a need. For some space at some point in time and so if there's way to uh, create some of that even on a small scale for a half hour or an hour that might be helpful um, you know and then also maybe creating some boundaries around um, what kind of conversations you're having and when you're having them mm -hmm. so uh, typically what we talk about um, it with the Gottman method is having a daily stress reducing conversation and what that means is it's usually, you know, when you're out in the world under normal circumstances, you come home and you're talking about how your day was. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, that's usually sectioned off for a specific time of day and it's not coming at you all day. Mm -hmm. And that might be really different right now where it's sort of, you know, there are not those time constraints where, you know, you're apart and now you're back together. So you might decide that, hey, let's talk about world events or how we're all feeling let's do that at seven o'clock from seven to seven thirty mm -hmm. and then maybe you know other parts of the day we're talking about other things or doing other things so that we don't feel like we're flooding with just the current events so maybe just creating some space maybe that's over dinner maybe it's after dinner a, a specific time where you can talk about your stress talk about your feeling and then take turns with the other person showing empathy and validating how hard this is right now. So, which reminds me, we didn't even touch on um, listening, right? The other side of this whole coin, right? So, right. Um, I think if there was something that you could quickly share on that, because that's a pretty important part of this. Absolutely. Um, right? So, what are your best strategies for? for listening, whether it's somebody, you know, airing a complaint or just, you know, sharing about their day or something sort of like low stakes, but um, right. how do we do that in a way that's meaningful and helpful? Yeah. You know, it also occurs to me that we didn't talk about the antidote for contempt. So oh, we're gonna let, me, to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> let me, let me cycle back to that just to finish that thought. Um, so contempt, the antidote for that is to talk about your own feelings and needs. And I often mm -hmm. feel like this is quite similar for uh, criticism, which is to use that softened startup, similar if not, you know, the same in many ways. Um, so contempt is really about, you know, that superior position over the other person. So bring it back to you, talk about what is your message, what's your feeling, what's your need, and try to talk about that versus again, making it about the other person. Mm -hmm. And when you state a need, what you might want to do is practice stating a positive need, which means that you're going to um, focus more on like what you want, what your need is, not what it isn't. So like, mm -hmm. I need you to stop, da, da, da. It's more like, mm -hmm. I need this to happen or I need it to be like this. 
So that's contempt and that's the antidote for that, which is your own feelings, your own needs. Um, and then now to talk a little bit about how to be a good listener. It sounds like, you know, that's what we're going to talk about. And that is just as important as how to be a good communicator mm -hmm. when you're the speaker. So when you are um, listening, you know, the two things that come out the most are empathy and validation. Mm. So empathy is just, you know, being able to say, it sounds like you're feeling like this or like, oh, that really sucks. Or yeah, this is really hard. It's sort of, you know, anticipating or highlighting what the emotion is that you're hearing for the other person or what experience you're hearing from them. So mm. when somebody comes home and says, oh my gosh, I'm so stressed out, you know, this and this happened today. And you're saying, oh my gosh, that sounds so stressful. Mm. That is a way of showing empathy. Empathy is like, oh yeah, I get it. Validation mm. is sort of similar to that, which is, you know, I hear you, what you're saying makes sense. Mm. Um, I totally would feel the same way if I was in your shoes. You know, it's a way of basically saying to the other person, like what you're saying is valid. Mm. You said something in there about relating to the emotion um, of the person. And it reminds me of some, and I honestly, I, I wish I knew where I heard this. I think it was just like some, probably somewhere on Instagram and passing that just kind of like stuck with me long after the fact, but it's really stuck with me. Like I just said, um, <laughs> and it is when somebody is sort of like, uh, obviously very clearly like upset or aggravated or just, you know, in a state, um, if you can relate more to the emotion that they're experiencing other than the words or maybe behaviors that you're witnessing, um, it just goes such a long way in being able to kind of cut through to that person and sort of just like reacting to the, you know, the behaviors and the words on the surface. So I love that you said like getting through to that emotional, that emotional state and saying, I see this, like, I, it looks like you're, you know, upset because the Christmas lights are in a tangle or, you know, like something, something to that. Right. Part. Right. Yeah. Which circles all the way back to where we started, which is, you know, really focusing on the emotion and how, we end up having so many fights. Like the number one thing we fight about is nothing. That's what John Gottman says, you know, and, and not to be, you know, trivializing things, but you know, the number one thing that we fight about are things that on the surface seem really small. Like, I don't like the tone that you just used, or I don't like that you didn't say this. And instead you said that, or I don't like that you didn't ask me how my day was mm. there, you know, these, you know, smaller scale seemingly things, but underneath those are often questions like, do I matter to you? Do you care about me? Mm -hmm. um, do you have my back? You know, are you, are you going to be there for me? There are these, you know, more um, significant and deeper rooted messages embedded within, you didn't ask me about my day is really like, do you care about me? Do you care mm -hmm. how my day was? I think that's such an important, I think that's such an important thing. And it actually reminds me of just like a funny story of, of, of mine where it took me so long to piece this together because we were, uh, so I'm married and every once in a while, or most nights actually, especially of late, we'll watch TV while eating dinner mm -hmm. or like a movie or something. And when he is, he looks 
down his food like exclusively. He can't do, but he cannot multitask, which makes me laugh to even say. But he looks down, and it used to drive me mad that he would never look up and watch the thing while he was eating. And it took me so long to piece it together. And it was just because I wanted to share that moment because we were watching a story and I wanted him involved in it. He was missing that moment of connection, right? So it sort of circles back to like this bit of, bit of connection thing. And it was yeah. making me so furious on the side to not see him involved, just, but it was simply just came down to what you just explained. It wasn't that he was eating his food. It was just like, I felt like we were missing this opportunity. Uh, for connection. And that was what I was, um, you know, reacting to. And so I exactly. love that you shared that. I love that yeah. And, and when you become aware that there's usually something deeper, that's when you can start to, as a listener, ask open-ended questions or, or show curiosity about that. Hmm. So if I notice that there's something that is landing differently than what I was intending or differently than what I would expect. So let's say I'm communicating a complaint even, and the other person's getting defensive. Um, that's an opportunity for me to say, Hey, it sounds like you're feeling like criticized or attacked by me right now. Can you tell me a little bit about what you're experiencing? Or can you tell me, you know, what might've triggered that? Or is there another way that I can, you know, see this that might, you know, make this work better for you. Mm. Yeah, that's super good. Cause yeah, it just builds out your, um, sort of your emotional intelligence or, or you're just like aware of your communication in general, right? You just get better at sort of picking that up on the other side. instead of it always feeling like it's um, coming at you. Um, right. I think that's a hugely important thing. And, you know, I, <laughs> we've spoken mostly about, um, you know, partnerships or relationships and, um, I, I'm interested to know because also in this time, I, we're in also a very, we're not only in a strange place in our relationships that we may have in shared households, but also with the rest of our relationships within our social circle. And so sort of within, we're sort of getting maybe bombarded with one relationship and then feeling like we're cut off from all the other ones. And so do you have any um, strategies or advice on how to sort of maintain you know, that balance in a way that feels good with the circumstances that most of us have been handed right now. Yeah, you know, I think when possible, one of the best ways to stay connected with those who are not in our shared living space right now is to try to make phone calls and video calls as much as possible over text and um, like the written email kind of mm -hmm. social media posts. Um, those are fine too, but there's something about having, you know, the sound of someone's voice or being able to see them and see their body language. Mm -hmm. That is so connecting for us and it's so um, comforting for us. And so, you know, there are people that I very rarely connect with through video chat that I am very intentionally, you know, making video chats in lieu of phone calls right now mm. um, because it's just so important. And, you know, from what it seems, our nervous system really can pick up on mm. the image of our loved ones and feel as though they're sitting right in front of us. So we can you know, feel grounded with each other, even through video, even though it's not in person. Mm. So I would really encourage folks, even if you're not in the habit of that under normal circumstances, to really try to 
you know, pick up the phone or make, you know, a video call so that you can either see or hear your loved ones. I um, have been continuing to work through all of this chaos. And um, right now I'm doing phone call visits, which is not ideal, but it's where we are. And um, I've had a couple of my clients who've said, you know, just hearing my voice sounded really comforting to them. And so I think we sometimes um, underestimate how important that is. I love that. And I think it really underscores the message that just because we may be physically isolated in this moment in time doesn't necessarily mean that we have to be socially isolated. And I think it's important more than ever to really be proactive about keeping up those relationships in a way that feels really good for you um, because it not only affects um, I mean, it just sort of ripples out to everybody, right? It affects your home environment if you're feeling like that's lacking. And um, I'm sure everybody benefits from checking in on everybody. So I really appreciate that. And that's an awesome tip to go to video whenever possible. And I mean, it's pretty amazing that we live in a world where that is um, even a thing. So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. If you're fortunate to have those, um, you know, resources available to you, I think we need to use them as much as possible right now because. We are not meant to be isolated. And so um, we are asked to be, uh, you know, I think social distancing is the misnomer. And I've heard a, a couple of uh, people on the news refer to it as it's more physical distancing. It's not social distancing. It's just physical proximity is being limited right now. Well, Lauren, this has been awesome. And I feel like we could chat for a really long time. I feel like there's so much we didn't even get to. Um, mm -hmm. And maybe we'll just have to have you back to dig into this. I think that what we discussed here today is not only going to be helpful just for anybody under any circumstances, but hopefully it's particularly helpful at this point in time. Um, if you're finding that, you know, relationships are feeling just a little bit extra strain from some of this stress and circumstance. So um, I have one final question for you, but before we get there, where can people find you? Um, if how can they work with you if that's something that you offer to the gen pub as i like to refer to the <laughs> um yeah share it all where can people find you i am most active on instagram which i also toggle to my facebook and that's at dr lauren fogel mercy and mercy is with an s and so that's where you can usually find me and then um, you know, unfortunately right now the way to work with me is to live in Minnesota and be local. Mm. And I hope that that changes at some point in the future and the plan is for that to change at some point. But for now, that would be, um, really the, the only way to be working with me. So, well, there's great stuff happening over on your Instagram. So for those of you who do not follow Lauren, please go do that. You'll find tons of gems going on over there. And I think something that has been sort of a central theme to what we've talked about today, but not really explicitly addressed is the idea that like, if and when you find yourself in a relationship that could use a little love, you know, maybe we have a little work to do or realizing that a lot of this is not really working or just feeling not as well as we want it to feel, um, that there's a significant amount of work that we can do sort of within ourselves before we even like come to a conversation with the other person or involve them. And I would love to know, first of all, hear you touch on that and explain why that is. Um, and then I would love to hear 
if you have any actual steps that people can actually do on that front, like questions to ask themselves or some places to begin, um, if they're resonating with a lot of what we talked about today. So how does it start with us? What does that look like? Why is that the case? With relationships, there's sort of three entities. There's you, there's the other person, and then there's the combination of the two. Hmm. And we have control over parts of that. So we can control us. We cannot control the other person. And we can't fully control the relationship, but we can influence it. Hmm. So I'm one part of, you know, that dynamic. And it's basically like, imagine that you were doing a dance. And if you suddenly start doing different steps, that's going to throw off whatever the dance was that you were doing in the first place. So you may not be able to have the person follow your lead, but you're at least doing a different dance. Hmm. So that's where it's so important, you know, being able to understand what you contribute uh, to a relationship. And if that is something that you want to improve, the best place that we can honestly start is with ourselves. And I know that that's probably one of the hardest things for people because usually relationship complaints are focused on how the other person is doing us wrong and, you know, being terrible. But really, we have only that limited control. And that's about um, us. It's focused on us. So I think, you know, the ways to really uh, be able to influence your relationship in a positive direction, there's a couple things that you can focus on. One is learning how to be uh, a better communicator. So how do you manage these four horsemen, making sure that you're using, you know, I statements, not with veiled criticism, but you know, where you're focusing on your own feelings and needs, where you're using a softer and gentler approach, where you're saying what you mean, uh, that's going to be really impactful. Also practicing how to be a good listener. So learning how to, um, you know, express empathy and validation, learning how to sit with emotions, learning how to just be there for somebody and not uh, maybe trying to fix things, but to just be present. Um, so that would be the second one. And then third one is to learn how to widen the space between the situation and your reaction, because that is work that all of us could some help with, I think at some point in time, which is no matter what is happening in the relationship or at this point, you know, in the world that we have a better grasp of our inner calm or that we can resource to a sense of grounding. And so one of the best ways to do that is to practice, uh, you know, mindfulness or, or meditation by, you know, tuning in, being present in the moment and slowing things down in the body. And that is honestly, and unfortunately, you know, I wish I wasn't like, these are not my rules. I just deliver the message. That's something that we have to practice over time. I love that. And uh, it speaks hugely to, uh, I, just, I love the way you phrase that in and of itself. You know, the space between stimulus and response, as Viktor Frankl put it, I think is like a yeah. huge, huge, huge space for opportunity. Um, yeah. And is, uh, yeah, there's a lot that we can do for ourselves in there and just how it relates to pretty much everything that we come into contact with throughout our day. So, um, I love those steps and, um, 
I just, I really appreciate you coming on today. I'm like looking at my notes. I feel like, yeah, I feel like we could just chit, um, sit and chit chat for quite some time here, but I really appreciate you coming on and sharing all of your wisdom and knowledge with us. Um, and I really, truly hope that those who um, are, you know, finding themselves in sort of like a sticky position right now with how the world is within their relationships found something of value here. So really just thank you so much for coming on, Lauren. I really appreciate all that you're doing, all that you're sharing. And um, it was great to have you here. Thank you so much. All right, team, there you have it. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Do go give Lauren a follow. She's sharing shit over on the gram all the time that you may learn a lot from. So I highly recommend following her over there. And as usual, leaving a review here on Apple Podcasts and or taking a little screenshot and sharing it on the gram, tagging me, tagging Lauren, uh, always goes a really long way. So I always appreciate that love as well. So hope you enjoyed today's show. Until next time. today's show, please take a moment to share a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button while you're at it. If you're looking for some more She Thrives goodness in your life, you can find me posting over on Instagram at She Thrives blog. And if you're interested in learning how to work with me inside She Thrives Academy, head over to my website at www.shethrivesblog.com to learn more and check out all the deeds for you there.